podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitramelides. Dr. Sid Lowe joins us on the line, live from Madrid. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Phil. How are you? I'm all right. I'm also in Madrid as well. Yes. Just for the avoidance of, of doubt, we're both here. And uh, we're here to talk about match day 26, which uh, which was actually really good. There was, there was loads of really good games, lots of goals, plenty of talking points as well. Uh, here are the results then. On Friday, there was a massive, massive win for Levante, who are flying. They beat Elche 3-0. They've got seven points from their last nine. And they might have a chance of staying up. They're still six points from safety, but at least they're not dead, which a couple of weeks ago we thought they were literally, all right, not literally dead, but metaphorically speaking in a football sense, uh, very much dead and buried. And they're not. They're fighting. Uh, Then on Saturday, uh, Valencia ended their seven-match winless streak in La Liga by winning 1-0 at Mallorca. Uh, Getafe and Alaves played out a really entertaining uh, 2-2 draw. Uh, Getafe playing uh, with 10 men for a large part of that game, but absolutely dominating Alaves and keeping up their sensational home record. Getafe, it's six wins and two draws from their last eight games at the Coliseum. Really, really strong uh, in front of their own fans. And then there was another local derby, uh, Real Madrid beating Rayo Vallecano by a goal to nil at the Estadio de Vallecas. It came late on from Karim Benzema. And then just up the road at the Wanda Metropolitano, Atletico Madrid got a much-needed 2-0 win against Celta Vigo. Both goals coming from Renan Lodi, an unusual source of goals. They also kept a clean sheet, which they haven't been doing at all in the league this season, but they managed to do it. Then on Sunday, Villarreal absolutely spanked Espanyol 5-1. Four, yes, four goals scored by Jeremy Pino. Four, Jeremy, that's insane. Four. Um, he was uh, very, very impressive, the, the teenager, and uh, Villarreal are also flying. They're in impressive form and, and closing in on potentially the fourth Champions League spot, the battle for which is very, very interesting. Immersed in it are Real Betis, who lost the Seville derby 2-1 at the Estadio Ramon Sanchez-Pijuan uh, to Sevilla. Uh, Sevilla came flying out the blocks in the first half. Betis were better in the second, uh, but the home side took the points. More on that in just a second. Uh, Real Sociedad beat Osasuna by uh, a goal to nil. 1-0 to La Real seems to be the, the common scoreline, a bit like Arsenal in the mid-90s under George Graham because six of their seven home wins this season have been by a 1-0 scoreline. Uh, Then the final game of the weekend was at the Camp Nou. Uh, Barcelona scored four goals for the third consecutive game. They beat Athletic Club 4-0 and another very impressive performance from Xavi Hernández's side. Monday Monday night football is at the Estadio Nuevo Los Carmenes. It's Granada against Cadiz. A huge game in the relegation battle. If Cadiz win, uh, then Granada are just a point clear of the drop zone. It's very, very tight at the bottom. Uh, We've had loads of new patrons, by the way, getting involved at patreon.com forward slash TSFP recently. Why not join them? You'll get a Q&A pod on Tuesday answering all your questions, a bonus pod on Friday talking about the Copa del Rey semi-finals. Plus, you can listen to our latest episode of TSFP Presents at the Games, where we talked about watching football in Bilbao and San Sebastián. And you get access to the TSFP Discord, where you can join fellow Spanish football lovers from around the world. All that for around four euros a month. Sounds like a good deal to me. Sydney, the talking points from uh, this weekend. We have to start in Seville, where you were. You've been to a lot of football this weekend, even by your standards. But uh, four matches and uh, the Seville derby on, on Sunday was the only game you went to. You went to three on Saturday, but, uh, slipping on slipping on Sunday. Seville derby, Sevilla 2, Betis 1. It was 
before we get to the actual analysis of the performance, it was a, a big, big, special occasion. It felt big, not least because it was second against third in the table. Yeah, they've never gone into a derby with the two teams as high as this uh, in second and third. We're in a position in which they might well, I say might well, that, that makes it sound far more of a foregone conclusion than it really is. But there's a possibility that they both win something in the same season, which hasn't happened since 1935 when Betis won the league and, and Sevilla won the cup. Um, they are obviously in very strong position in so much as Sevilla are second in, in La Liga and, and the only genuine contender, I think, to win the league with, with Real Madrid. I still think, obviously, Real Madrid are, are clear favourites. Betis are into the semi-final of the Copa del Rey, having won the first game, so it feels big for them. And, of course, they're both in the Europa League, where the final just happens to be played at Sevilla's ground as well. So that makes the whole feeling even bigger. And it was Betis who knocked Sevilla out of the Copa del Rey. And it, there was a feeling, I think, as well, that because Betis have not picked up huge amounts of points in recent weeks, I think it's four of the last five games had been draws going into this in La Liga. And they've been in that position where you thought they just didn't quite take that step to compete for the league. Because Madrid had won on Saturday night, it felt like Betis could basically knock them out of the league title race as well. That if they'd won this, it would have been nine mm. points and that's it. It's basically done. Um, and there was quite a lot building into it. I also think that you add to that the fact that, as you know, as, as our hashtag says, always watch Betis. In, in 2022, I think there's a very strong argument that says Betis have been the best team in Spain. Certainly the best mm. team to watch, the most interesting team to watch. Um, and, and it really was set up to be pretty special. I mean, it's always special anyway, but, but even more so this time. The atmosphere was, was, was fantastic. It was very, very busy, very full, very noisy. And that played into the way the game itself went, um, which is itself a bit of a break from the way Sevilla have been playing recently. Yeah, let's talk a bit about the uh, game because Sevilla came flying out the blocks. This was a severe side that were missing some really, really key players. Obviously, there was no Jules Koundé. There was no Lucas Acampos. They had Fernando playing at centre-back alongside Diego Carlos, who had forced himself to be fit for the game and, and produced a, a monumental performance. But I wasn't expecting Sevilla to, to start as brightly as they did. The first half, they ended it 2-0 up. They were completely all over Betis. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's really, as I say, that was it kind of felt like that was to do with the atmosphere. And, and, and partly it was, at least according to, to Lopez. Pateggi it was um, and this is kind of what I asked him after the game in the, in the press conference the as you say it was a whole series of injuries that they've got Navas was starting for the first time since October uh, you got Fernando at centre-back as you say Diego Carlos played really really well but could only play half the game and then on top of that you get Papu Gomez forced off after half an hour um, and, and so you've got all of these problems but Sevilla really really went for them and the reason why I say I feel like that is significant is because if you look at the games in this run where they've been not losing, but drawing too often. There's been, I think, an accusation levelled at Sevilla, and in particular at Lopetegui, that they the, the phrase that gets used is a lack of ambition. Now, I don't think that's fair. But, but I do think it's fair to say that at times they have felt like they've wanted to play their way into games. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? As if, and I think actually this is part of it, as if they're aware that there are physical limits to what they can do, given the huge number of, in, of injuries they've had. And that therefore, what you do is you play your way into the game and then if you need to, you can keep on playing in the second half and you trust your ability to control the game enough for chances to present themselves. That chances will come if you control the game because they actually are very, very good with the ball, Sevilla. You watch them, I think they're really well organised, really re well worked. You can see what Lopetegui has done with them. You can see that this is mechanical as much as just talent, but that sometimes they don't take that step. And so what was really interesting in this was that they went hell for leather from the start. Hmm. And then, and come on to this now, is what I was saying, this is what I asked Lopetegui after the game. I said to him, is there an element of choice 
in that you know that you can't do this for 90 minutes. There's an element of choice about when you, you do this, if you like this acceleration. And he said that actually it's quite hard to make calculations like that. And he said, and what happens is the context plays a part. So effectively, it's the noise that kind of takes it. And he actually used the phrase, which I really quite liked. He said, that ball that you don't normally get to, you get to mm. in this atmosphere. That pressure that you maybe don't often have always apply, you apply. Because there's something about the context that drives you. And then he said, and in the second half, he said, I felt that we managed... The, what was the phrase he used? Questionnaire. So what's that? Administered or managed. Yeah, managed. Yeah. We managed the... And he used the word... The drop in energy, yeah. molestias, which I suppose is a niggle or an injury. It's not quite injury, is it? The, the fatigue, I suppose. And he said, in the second half, I felt we'd managed that quite well. Um, which, of course, they could have only have done if they'd managed to give themselves a lead in the first half. But mm-hmm. they did. And those two goals were ultimately enough. But look, I've got my notes here. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, this, this is not the Bible. It's not the, the absolute truth. But I've got, written, I've got written down, minute one, big penalty shout. Minute three, another penalty shout. Minute six, just wide. Minute six, what a save. Minute seven, seven, shot blocked. Minute eight, another underlined, severe shot blocked. Um, minute 10, uh, third corner, no, fourth corner already. Minute 11, it's kicking off. <laughs> so that, that, and then kicking off was, obviously uh, well, was that confrontation. Up to the 11th minute, uh, Sevilla had had 91% possession in the opening I wish, 11 minutes. I, I wish I had known that when yeah. I was writing the column a minute ago. Is, yeah. that, is that the case? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, well, there you go. I, mm. did, I did not know that. Um, and I, I wish I had. I really should do this podcast before I write on a Monday because I always learn things from you. <laughs> Well, that's the idea. That's the idea. Um, can, can I just put you up on something that you said? You said Betis have potentially been the best team in Spain this year. Yeah. They are, in terms of points, they're the seventh best team. Elche have got more points than them this year. Wow, OK. Uh, Real Madrid, Sevilla, Atletico, Barca and Villarreal are officially the best team in La Liga in 2022. Uh, OK. With, with 17 me... points and the best goal difference. But I, I know what you mean. Let me give you a counter-argument to that. Go on. Which, obviously, the best team is, is, is part, partly about how, how it feels and how they how they're playing as well. But look at, look at this. So, for example, I pulled it up now and they lost this game and then obviously they lost against Villarreal. If you take out this game, I don't know if they might be the best team because obviously the turn of the year, 2nd of January, they lose. But since then, it's 1-2-3, 4-5, 6 games, only one defeat. But here's the thing. Scored 4 against Alaves, scored 4 against Espanyol, scored 4 against Levante, got 2 against Mallorca. Um, so that's, yeah. that's kind of what I mean. They've been, they've been incredibly exciting to watch. And then you can add to that Four against Real Sociedad in the Copa del Rey. Yes. A victory against Sevilla in the Copa del Rey. Uh, a, a semi-final first leg victory against Rio in the Copa del Rey as well. Yes. At a time when people weren't winning at Vallecas. So that, yeah. that, that's where my argument comes from. But although, yes, yes, statistically, it's good to be told. Yes. Now, if you take out this weekend, they're the fifth best team. So, right. Yeah. Um, no, no, but I know what you mean. Always watch Betis. They've been very entertaining. Although they were really bad in that first half. And Mark Bartra and Claudio Bravo not looking too clever for, for either of the goals. Well, I mean, I think I think the I think the first the, the first goal is 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 a little bit poor, but the second goal is unbelievably poor. It's literally um, from a goal kick. It's literally from a goal kick. It's allowed to bounce. I mean, it comes straight over. It's not like it's nodded on or anything. It's straight through. Um, I think it's two different defenders jump for the same ball, and of course that means that that, that Munir, who's going beyond them, has got no one going with him. Although I think there's a third defender who then does turn and go towards him. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, and, and, and it just bounces up and then it's poor goalkeeping as well because he hits it all he hits it reasonably well in, in fairness but that shouldn't go in 
that really shouldn't go in. Mm. Um, and, and then the first goal is absolutely gorgeous from Tecatito. But Oof. then actually, although the pass is brilliant, it does escape Ennisili. Yes. But then as it sort of bends away from the defender, the defender seems to be wrong-footed or maybe slightly slips. And then Ennisili's acceleration is, is brilliant. Yes. To get to it. And then, of course, it's a penalty. Tremendous. Uh, just talking about that second goal, I'm going to confess to you, dear TSFP listeners, I did not know, and I'm 38 been watching football for a long time, working in the industry for a decade and a half. I did not know that you can't be offside from a goal kick. I didn't know that. And you did. Did, did, I messaged did you know you. about the throw-ins? I knew about the throw-ins. Right, Everyone knows okay. about the throw-ins. But the goal yeah. kick, I didn't know. And I was a little bit stunned when, when I realised it. I was like, how could I not have known that for so long? And <laughs> I was working yesterday at La Liga TV with, with Lauren, who obviously, our legendary Arsenal fullback, won the Premier League twice, won the Copper, uh, uh, the FA Cup, won the African Cup of Nations twice. Pretty successful footballer. And he was like, oh, I didn't know that either. <laughs> Like, he doesn't. He doesn't need to know the rules. He just needs to be able to play the game. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Well, that was felt slightly better I, than that you didn't. Know I that. actually think there's there's a broader question here, which is, I reckon there are probably loads of rules we don't strictly know. Yeah, you just kind of watch the game and get on with it. But and, then and I, I asked quite a few people, and it was about fifty fifty. People knew, people didn't know. But then everyone sort of said, well, why don't people punt it long then more? Why don't why don't play long balls then more? Because if you can't be offside from a goal kick, why isn't that actually? Actually, that's a very good point because <laughs> not not so much because obviously, look, the other team wouldn't fall for it because of course they would go and put someone alongside him if you literally stood 15 metres further <laughs> up the pitch but what you would do is you would deny those teams that want to squeeze the line right to the halfway line you would deny them the chance to do that yeah and yeah. so so it's slightly strange that they anyway. don't anyway just a, a little a little side note uh, tr- tremendous game it was played at a million miles an hour particularly the first half Bedis got back into it in the second half an injury time goal from Sergio Canales an absolutely sensational free kick but it wasn't enough. He scored in the 93rd minute and the referee blew up. It was supposed to be five minutes of added on time. He blew up on 94.50. So even though we'd had a goal in injury time, he blew up 10 seconds early. It's a, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's, a, it's a little pet peeve that we have. But, yeah. um, the, well, uh, it's a pet peeve because we like football and we don't like having football stolen from us, basically. It was, it was thieved, thieved it from was. us. But yeah, hope you guys enjoyed the Seville derby if you, if you managed to watch it. And if you didn't, hopefully you got a little essence of the game from us. Uh, let's talk about what happened at the camp now. Uh, Barcelona thrashing Athletic Club 4-0. Uh, in the end, the big story to come out of this, I guess, is Usman Dembélé, who, who came on in the 67th minute, scored an unbelievably good goal, provided two assists. He started off being whistled by the home fans, but after the goal, I, c- I can confirm there were no more whistles. <laughs> and this had happened a little bit in the game in Europe when... Um when he'd been whistled when he came on and then whistled again on the second touch, but a little bit less and then whistled on the third and a little bit less. And there was an applause from the rest of the fans to try and sort of tilt the balance. And eventually they, they managed to. And, and it, that felt very much like a, a convenience thing. Mm. Were like, right, okay, we've had our say, he knows what we think, but now we kind of need him. So let's, let's not make this worse for ourselves. To use Chavi's phrase from, a, what was it, two or three weeks ago, he said, we can't shoot ourselves in the foot. Mm. You've got this player now, we can't shoot ourselves in the foot, so let's support him. And that is why I was surprised it got whistled again. Because mm. I must admit, I thought that European yeah, game had, been, had yeah. been the kind of like, right, we've done it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, see what yeah. I mean? Yeah. We've done it, we've moved on. He knows, everybody knows. We're not very happy with him, but sod it, he's useful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so he was kind of forced to respond again. And I know there was something very noticeable last night. His first touch, the first time he gets the ball, 
he sort of looks to go down the line and stops and comes back inside and it sort of runs parallel a little bit horizontally and then sort of stops a bit and he's getting whistled. And the reason I point this out is he was in possession for maybe eight, nine, ten seconds. Now, normally when you're getting whistled, you think, right, pass it on <laughs> straight away. He's like, I've got it. Keep whistling. It's all right. I'm here. Um, and, and he played really, really well. Two, two brilliant, brilliantly delivered assists. And the shot is just phenomenal. It's, and you watch it's vintage, it, vintage Dembele, it isn't really it? It really is. Because yeah. it's that little, that thing that we've talked about before about how he manages to do those sort of lateral movements so fast. And I think that's partly because you don't know if he's going left foot or right foot. So he sort of shifts his weight from one side to the other. And then that lateral movement then allows for one little burst of acceleration and he's past the defender. Yeah. And he doesn't really need to keep running after that. He's done enough to get himself the shooting position. And because he's two-footed... Completely even, two-footed. It's unbelievable. Even if that first touch to get him away from the defender isn't, doesn't quite fall where he would want it if he was mm. one-footed, he's not, it's normally in a position where he can hit it with either of them. Mm. And he hits it so hard and so cleanly. It's, mm. uh, it's a brilliant goal. Uh, the other talking point, I guess, from this game, the major one, is, is Pedri. Uh, another mm. superb performance from him. The... Uh, back heel nutmeg which got the crowd on their feet and absolutely in love with him Chavi saying after the, the game if we're talking about pure talent he's the best in the world yeah I people mean people are getting I, really excited about Pedri I, I sense it uh, here in Spain not just in Barcelona but generally in the media people are really beginning to to, to, to think like he could be like, world beating yeah because he is just a kid still mm. and, and I, this is one of the things that I'm going to sound like a killjoy but kind of to repeat a line that I've used before, I worry sometimes, and worry's not the right word, but you know what I mean? I, my concern with this is that I think sometimes we project a future onto a player and we assume a linear progression that this player will continue to improve. Right. And so we look at a kid and we say, well, he's only a teenager. Imagine when he's 25. Well, when he's 25, he might be just the same as he is now. Yes. He might have already reached that point. Some players take longer. Some players don't take long. You know, Andres Iniesta and Xavi, for example, weren't really the players they became until... Well, I'm trying to think in Xavi's case, it might be 25, 26. In, in Iniesta's, it's at least 23 or 24. Hmm. But these were really, really regular players in the Barcelona team when playing at that level. And then, so then you project that onto Pedri. But his, his, his progression chart might not be the same. You know what I mean? It might, it might reach a, a plateauing point sooner. But there's no doubt he's, he's really, really talented. Obviously, to respond to Xavi's comment about in terms of pure talent, I guess the question there is what are we counting as pure talent? The softness of the touch, maybe. Um, and that's possible I'm trying to think of a player with, with his touch I can't think of many I don't know if I can think of any um, but then there are different types of talent you know Dembele's technical talent of two-footedness and acceleration and, and the quality of his delivery might be as high Pedri doesn't score many goals or we don't think he does but maybe that's something he'll add to his game but yeah he's a really really good footballer and, and as you said the reaction to that bit of skill that that photograph that you tweeted, the faces. Yeah. That is that was that was it was really lovely because that's like you go to a game of football and we all talk about winning and competing and all the rest of it. But those little moments are gold as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Um just uh, uh it was it was just instinctive, wasn't it, those reactions. It know? was like kind of that bloody hell yeah. well, look at that. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. amazing. Without being corny is literally what football's about. So yeah. Uh, yeah, go and seek out that photo if you if you can. A uh, quick word on Athletic, who, who rested a lot of players for this game yeah. because they've got the Copa del Rey semi-final second leg uh, coming up against uh, Valencia, which is the season-defining game for them, 
I guess, and uh, I get potentially a little bit disappointed from them, but you can understand why they why they. Yeah, I can cut completely understand why. Uh, me and you were talking about this certainly in the first half. Um, it, it, there were a couple of times when Athletic escaped, but didn't really escape. Hmm. And you were looking at it thinking, if you've got one of the two Williams brothers on the pitch, hmm. who are much, much quicker than these guys, then they escape for good. You hmm. know, they really do get away. I can understand why they didn't want to do that. I can understand why they wanted to protect the key players because the Copa del Rey semi-final is their everything and it's absolutely right that it's their everything and that it's prioritised. Um, but I think that did have an impact. That said, this 4-0 result possibly slightly overplays it insofar as obviously three of the goals come in, what, the last 12 minutes? Is it yes. something like that? Yeah, two of them coming in injury time. One of them from Luke de Jong. He's got five league goals now, Luke de Jong. Fantastic. Uh, so, um, yeah. I mean, that was Xavi's remark after the game, which I really quite liked. He said, Son todas buenas noticias. Everything's good news. And it's true that everywhere you looked, it was good news. Like you've got De Jong is scoring. Memphis um, Depay. Memphis Depay scores. You've got Pedri. You've got Dembele. You've got the quality of the performance they throughout the midfield. They kept a clean sheet. They kept a clean sheet. You've got the fact that, that, that he moves Serginho Dest to the left and he actually plays very well. Yeah. You've got the return of Daniel. It's like there isn't anything in this game. You think, yeah, yeah, absolutely everything is good news for them. Well, that's, well, you know, uh, Barcelona fans have, uh, have had it tough by their standards recently so so there we go yeah they want to support Oviedo <laughs> yeah right <laughs> uh, let, let, let's talk about what happened on Saturday you did a triple header you started off at Getafe to see them draw 2-2 with Alaves and you, you missed three goals yeah I missed the good bit basically didn't you, I of you, this game. You, you missed the good bit but uh, but at least at least you were there which was important you then hurried to Vallecas to see uh, Rayo play pretty well actually and, mm. and lose 1-0 to to Real Madrid, the goal from Real Madrid coming from a brilliant bit of interplay between Vinicius and, and Karim Benzema. The understanding they have is just absolutely special. It's special and it's going to win them lots of games this season and perhaps next as well. But just as important as that is Thibaut Courtois. And we keep yeah. saying it game after game after game. There is at least one moment where he produces an unbelievable save. It happened again against Valle- against Rayo and Vallecas. And he is just as important as the other two. Yeah, he is. He really is. Um, just briefly on Benzema, by the way, we're talking about that Pedri, the softness of touch. The, that's part of what defines Benzema as well. That little that pass through to, to Vinicius when then Vinicius returns it to him. He doesn't really kick the ball, does he? He just sort of nudges it on. It's, 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 it's not even really of a flick, is it? It's just kind of a push. It's a gentle push of the ball. And, and Benzema, in terms of when you talk about pure talent in the way that I think that Xavi understands it, I think Benzema is very, very, very high on the list because, you know, that quality. Um, on to Courtois. I, I, I absolutely loved um, Baliou's comment. Did you hear this post-game? No, and, 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 and so, so Baliou was like, he said, um, he said, I don't know what else we... I don't know else what, what else we can do to beat Courtois, really. He said, maybe pray a bit. Um, <laughs> and, and, just, just, and I thought that was, that was it. And, and of course, Courtois, it, it, for those who don't know, and obviously everyone knows it when you, when you watch him on the television, but, but, but if, you, if you speak to Courtois, and particularly if you do Courtois, I'm going to let you into a little sort of inside uh, secret. If you speak to Courtois in the flash zone. Now, the flash zone is the, is the post-game interview area. Um, and basically, it's a corridor. At the Bernabeu, at least, it's a corridor. And it's a corridor with little... Um, imagine a big TV on a stand. But instead of a TV, it's a, it's a board that's got advertisers' names on it. We have to mess around with the camera angle because Courtois is too tall. And he's taller <laughs> than the board. And he's the only player that is. And you have to mess around with the camera angle because otherwise you're looking up too much. 
And basically, you see this kind of industrial corrugated iron behind him instead of the, <laughs> instead of the sponsor's board. He's a big man. Yes. Like he's, he really is a big man. This is why, I suppose, one of the few weaknesses he has tends to be down low. Although he made a brilliant save down low. Brilliant. Weekend, double, really two, really spreading, his, yeah, yeah. spreading his body. But I think the point I may, I'm making here isn't just, here's a big man. Uh, but it links with what Balou says. I think that sometimes what happens is you get a, a, a goalkeeper's reality then creates a goalkeeper's reputation, which then reinforces the reality. Mm-hmm. I think, genuinely think players, not necessarily scared about him, but maybe take more time over finishes. Maybe try and be too careful. Maybe don't take shots as early because they know this guy can stop them. Mm. And, and I think that actually has an impact on the way that people finish as well as just his extraordinary saving ability. And the other thing to add to his saving is, as you, know, as you said, every game there's at least one miracle from him. But it's not just that. It's every game... His handling is really secure. He comes yes. across his... You don't see him flapping, do you? He, no, you no. don't see him flap. And you don't see him wait on his goal line. Some mm. goalies wait on the goal line. He could probably make more saves if he came for fewer crosses. Mm. But he doesn't because that's, that's part of his game. And the other thing, and we mentioned it, I think, earlier in the season because I was actually really struck by it at the Bernabeu. I can't remember which game it was, but I was sitting, well, standing just behind him. Um, and how good he is with the ball and how prepared... Even on a pitch like Vallecas, which obviously they were a bit less prepared. But how prepared his teammates are to turn and hit the ball back to him if mm. they need to. Mm. And sometimes hit pretty compromising passes to him. Yes. And, and he's, re- he's, he's really, really improved in that as well. Uh, what was it like being pitch side in this fixture at Vallecas? Because it is a, a local derby. There is no love lost between the Rio uh, supporters and, and, and Real Madrid. And you were right next to the Bucaneros yeah. as well. So what was, what was that experience like? Noisy. Very noisy. <laughs> very loud. Um, a couple of times, uh, you know, I, I think most people who listen to us know that we, we, we quite like Rio. We quite like the way their fans respond. I think they're largely right, for example, in their battle with, with, with the president. There are a couple of times when, when a couple of people overstepped the mark. That's, that's for sure in terms of the, the, the abuse was unnecessary, I think, a couple of times. But mostly it's really quite funny the way that they, they kind of engage with, with, with the player they got nearest to them. In this case, it was, it was Courtois. Um, it's it's very very close to the pitch. That's the yes. other thing. Physically, it really is. I mean, you, you know, you can say it's close to the pitch, but but obviously where we were standing, we stand behind the goal, and normally you've got a lot of room to stand in. And I was squeezed against the barrier basically where the fans were. Mm. Um, it's very very close. The other thing you get a very clear view on is actually what Courtois complained about after the game, and Pellegrini has play, complained about this earlier in the season. The pitch isn't good. Mm. Like the pitch isn't good. Now, obviously, look. Compared to the kind of pitches me and you would have played on in our lifetimes, it's still brilliant. But it's not good from a professional point of view. I think that does actually increase the intensity of the game a little bit because people don't always... I think there's a desire to take a touch. And I think this is one of the things that Ryo do because you want to control it rather than trust that it won't sit up on you. Mm. But if Ryo get right on top of you quickly, you haven't got the time to take that touch. Mm. And so I think it makes for a game that's more imprecise, which I think helps to explain why Ryo's performances and results have been so much better at home than away although it's also about the way the fixture list has fallen. Uh, you then headed off to the Wanda to see Atleti beat Celta 2-0, both goals coming from Renan Lodi, who had an incredible week because he played really, really well against Manchester United in the Champions League and then scored his first ever brace. So Yeah, and, and both goals provided by Condobbia, very similar sort of delivery in both cases, a kind of slightly speared over the behind the, the right-back, who in this case was Hugo Mayo. Um, and, and Lodi coming in behind. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I may not have done, I think we mentioned this after the Atletico game, and I talked about, I wondered whether Simeone was going through a process with Lodi that he had gone through with Trippier. 
Does mm. that sound familiar to you? And, and this idea that you take this fullback who actually is better further up the pitch and by adding, a, adding an extra central defender behind him, you can allow him to do that. I didn't do the bonus podcast with you last week. So. Uh, it was with Al, I so I may have said this. So apologies, listeners, if I've already said this. But that idea was really reinforced watching it on, on Saturday because Lottie was very consciously playing higher. And of course, this is um, permitted by the arrival of Ray Nildo, who's playing at left-back, hmm. whereas previously it had been Mario Ademosso. And the other thing about this is there's a phrase that um, Felipe Luis used in an interview that I did with him, I don't know, six months or so ago, and he said, one of the great things about Simeone is he's got no heart. And this was leapt on by a few people in Spain to say, this is terrible, this is an attack on Simeone. It was the complete opposite. What he essentially meant is what I think we would say in English is no sentimentality. Mm. And what the Spanish tend to say, the phrase they use more often is to say, he doesn't get married to anyone. Mm. And I think we've seen this because there was no place for Suarez. There was no place for Coque, his captain. There's no place for Mario Hermoso, someone who's really backed at times over the course of the year. And there was a place for Jao Felix. And I can guarantee you that in terms of his personal connection with those, the three guys he's left out, he's fonder of than the person he put in. Mm. But Simeone is absolutely clear. And so if Hector Herrera, who, by the way, hasn't renewed his contract and probably won't be continuing at the club, and Kondobia are in better form, they play. Mm. It really is as simple as that. Mm. Uh, Koke is injured, but yeah. Cocky is injured. You're right. Fair yeah. point. But let's see when let's see when he comes but, back because but I'm, I'm well, not sure he will walk back in. No, yeah. Simeone feels like he might be a little bit married to him. Well, let's see. That that would be interesting. Is he let's married see. to Cocky? Yeah, see. a little bit married. A little bit married to Cocky. Um, we've got to mention Jeremy Pino with what the Spaniards call a poker, a poker, mm. four goals. See, this is an unbelievable statistic which I couldn't quite get my head around, but they told me it on La Liga TV, so it must be true. Mm. He's the first Villarreal player to score four goals in a game. Well, bear in mind that will be in Primera. Well, sure, but they've had some yeah, really yeah. good strikers. But they've not actually been in Primera for very long. Well, yeah, but they've been in quite long. Yes, yes. Um, and and, and, and it's, a, it's, an, it's a really striking statistic. They have had some very good strikers. Um, I don't know. I mean, I suppose the, the thing to do now would be to balance this against how often do you ever get four goals from an individual player if it's not Messi or Ronaldo. The answer, by the way, was partly um, given to us by the, the ultimate in football statisticians, uh, the slightly mad Mr Chip. I mean, his, his ability to pick up on bizarre things is just extraordinary. He must have a, you know, a, a database the size of a castle. But he, yes. he pointed out that this is the second youngest four goals ever. But actually, it's not that long since the youngest, which was Santi Mina, which I really remember really quite clearly. So on a Friday night about ah, six years ago. The Celta. Yeah. Ah. But yeah, I mean, the list of Villarreal forwards, you know... And, they, and, and none of them managed to score four goals. Yeah. Um... Forland, Giuseppe Rossi, uh, who else? Nihat. 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 Um, they had Pato for a while, admittedly, he didn't play for very long. They had that Nilmar player. Nilmar. Who yeah. else have they had? They must have had some. Well, oh, Gerard Moreno. Obviously, Gerard Moreno. Um, Bakambu. Yeah, yeah. None of them managed to score four goals, but teenage Jeremy Pino did. So well done. Villarreal have won seven of their last ten games. They've scored five goals in three of them. And Gerard Moreno has been out missing for the last few with uh, with an injury. So that is fantastic news for them. We felt that they had Gerard Moreno dependencia. If he wasn't playing, that they weren't they wouldn't score. But they found solutions, as they say in Spanish. Arnold Danjuma scoring now. Jeremy Pino scoring as well. Bulaidia scored the fifth for them as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's and I think so that's quite news. interesting in itself because he, it feels like his contribution has been quite limited this year hmm. um, through injury and, and so on. And, and, and perhaps his return just gives them a little bit more variety. Uh, do you think Levante will stay up, Sid? 
Levante, no. No chance, right? No, I don't think no chance. I've started to believe that there's half a chance. I, mean, I was looking at this just literally just a minute ago, right? Look at their last results, right? Before this little recent run, conceded four, conceded four, conceded five, then they won against Mallorca, admittedly. Conceded two, conceded three, conceded four. And then since then, suddenly it's been 1-0, 1-1, and a 3-0 win. What has happened to them? Alessio Lissi, you are a genius. He is, he is. Well, they'll be watching tonight's game uh, very closely. Uh, Granada against Cadiz. It is a, a massive game uh, in the relegation battle. And Levante will, uh, I guess they'll want Cadiz to win, to be honest, to suck Granada into the into the relegation zone. Yeah, I wonder. Will they want that or will they want a draw so that both teams are dropping two points? Because they've got to give themselves probably more than one target, haven't yeah. they? The question yeah. is, yeah, do you set a target? I mean, obviously you can't set it. It's not in your hands. But do you want one target that's reachable Hmm. Or do you want more targets that might be slightly less reachable, but you've got a broader variety of options? Hmm. As I say, uh, you can't choose, so what it, whatever. Before we go, a quick mention on the Segunda as well, uh, where Oviedo managed, do we have managed to? to lose 1-0 at home to Real Sociedad B. Uh, right, so every time Oviedo feel like that, it's just within reach, then it's not. So we're now back to where we are, which is two points off the playoffs and two places off the playoffs. Every single time you think, oh, well, maybe... yes. It doesn't happen, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop myself from ranting, but, yeah. but it's so frustrating. Win this game at home against the Real Sociedad B, who admittedly have the most handsome manager in world football. Yes. But even so, yes. and you win this game, and you're in a playoff position. Uh, I got a message from my friend Oscar, who's from Madrid, but his wife is from Asturias, and he often goes up and he goes with his father-in-law to, to watch Oviedo. He was there, and the message simply said... Madre mia, Oviedo. So that's yeah, kind exactly. of explained uh, the, uh, the, uh, the performance. Uh, that's it for uh, this week's edition of TSFP. Uh, this week, we've got the Copa del Rey semi-final second legs. On Wednesday, it's Valencia against Athletic at Mestalla, currently 1-1 after the first leg. And then on Thursday, it's Betis against Rayo Vallecano at the Benito Villamarín. Uh, Betis leading 2-1 from the first leg. Uh, tomorrow we've got a Q&A pod for patrons. We've got the bonus pod coming out on Friday as well so we can discuss those Copa del Rey semi-finals. So come and join us and become a patron. It's, it's, it's good fun, I promise. If you don't like fun that's fine. Uh, we'll be back uh, next Monday uh, for the uh, Monday podcast which is always going to be free here amigos. We do it for you. We do it for the love. So come and join us. Feel the love. Feel the Spanish football love. I'm rambling. I'll say goodbye. Adios. Cheerio. Network.